Great to be with you this morning. If you uh, have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 4, uh, verse 11, as we continue in our series on practicing simplicity. Uh, The verses that we are going to read this morning were written by the Apostle Paul, uh, who suffered many things in his apprenticeship to Jesus. Uh, He was persecuted, beaten, mocked, imprisoned, and ultimately executed for his faith. Uh, But from a prison cell, he wrote these verses that we're going to read, and uh, within them, he shares uh, the secret to finding the ever-elusive experience of contentment, uh, which we'll be unpacking this morning. We pick up in Philippians 4, verse 11. uh, Paul writes this. He says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we uh, come to you in humility this morning. Uh, We come to you, many of us aware of our own uh, weakness, uh, uh, of our own uh, sort of uh, faults, of our own uh, misplaced desires, of our own restlessness. And we pray, Lord, that you would be our strength, uh, that you would be our peace, and that you would uh, speak a true, challenging, beautiful, uh, transformative a word to our hearts. Lord, every single one of us needs to hear from you this morning, but each one of us uh, probably needs to hear something slightly different. And so we want to be in tune uh, to you, to your voice, to your spirit. Uh, would you come and speak to us now? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Desire is a beautiful thing. Uh, Desire uh, propels us, fuels us, drives us to do something, uh, to become something. Uh, Desire gets us out of bed in the morning. Desire plays a beautiful role in God's good world. Uh, But the enemy has a hard time uh, smothering all desire, uh, canceling out our desire completely. Uh, Instead, the enemy's tactic is to uh, disorder your desires, uh, to take your desires and channel them in destructive directions. The enemy wants you to desire the wrong things, and the enemy wants your desire for the wrong things uh, to grow to the point that they rule, control, hijack your life. And the primary tactic of the enemy is to take human desire, which is unlimited, and to aim that desire at creation itself, uh, which is, by definition, limited. Uh, As a result, we always want more. More food, more drink, more clothes, more gadgets, more money, more uh, vacations, more stuff. We want more. Take our unlimited desire and aim it at creation itself, and and it becomes an itch that we can never fully scratch. 
It becomes a desire that is never fully satisfied. In short, when this happens, uh, we become restless and discontent. But advertisers know that you have unlimited desire. And, and they know that you are discontent. And every time they uh, tap into that desire, every time they strike that nerve, uh, they make money. It shows up in their profit margin. So the average American now sees an average of 4,000 advertisements a day, and each one of them are designed to, to hit on, to tap into that restlessness in the human heart. Uh, always with the promise that the next uh, purchase will scratch that itch, will satisfy that desire, will make you feel complete. Uh, in fact, all they have to do is show you someone who looks whole and happy driving a BMW and instantly you want a BMW. It, it's literally that easy to tap into our restlessness. What will make me feel whole? Uh, what will make me feel satisfied? Well, the world has several million options that it would like to sell you. And social media, sadly, all too often is just fuel on the fire. As we get views of other people online curated, uh, everyone looks whole. Everyone looks content. They look satisfied, at least in their selfies. And as we spend hours looking at them, we start to wonder, huh, what do they have that I don't? Why does everyone else look so satisfied and happy and full and I know that I'm not? Uh, we start comparing our lives relentlessly side to side with others, which only drives our sense of comparison and discontent. Uh, it creates, cultivates within us day after day, hour after hour, a sense of envy, uh, which is, quote, the greed for another person's life and the loss of gratitude, joy, and contentment in our own. Ronald Rollheiser says it this way. He says, so much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives, our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies, and our sexuality to some idealized and non-Christian version of things, which falsely assures us that there is heaven on earth. When that happens, and it does, our tensions begin to drive us mad, in this case, to a cancerous restlessness. It, it drives us to be discontent. And I find that discontentment in my own heart as well. Uh, I'm not on social media. Uh, I don't watch TV. In fact, I barely go on the internet. And I still uh, have these remnants of discontent in my own heart. Uh, and biblical minimalism what we've been talking about for the last month or two, uh, has really been a journey that has exposed and even begun to uproot uh, a lot of the discontent in my own life because I'm forced to ask through that process, Lord, why do I always want more? And, and we're forced to dig down to the, to the root 
of that issue. I mentioned a few weeks ago that through uh, this biblical minimalism process, uh, we decided to become a one-car family. Uh, that's not for everyone, but it works great for us, and we felt led by the Lord uh, to do that and sell off our other vehicle. We have a 2000, uh, 2005 Toyota minivan, uh, which is not super glorious, but it is basically the perfect vehicle for our family. In terms of function, it's never had a mechanical issue. It has plenty of seats. It's great for camping and road trips and all the stuff that we love to do. It's got tons of life left in it. Uh, on paper, it, it checks all the boxes. It does everything that we would uh, even desire from a vehicle. Uh, but then, uh, all of a sudden, I find this desire for more, right? I, I wake up in the morning and I find this driving discontent. I, I want to purchase a new vehicle. I want something that's, quote, better, that, that's nicer, that's newer, that's, that's more. I have a desire to purchase the new before the old has even been entirely consumed. And the same is true with my clothes. I have all of the clothes that I need. I love my clothes. I appreciate my clothes. Jesus has transformed my relationship to clothes uh, over the last 12 months. Uh, but every once in a while, random day, random time, that impulse hits. And all of a sudden, I, I just want more. I just want to go and buy new clothes. Discontentment rears its ugly head. And I have that inner voice that says, you need more. You need newer. You need better. I want to purchase new clothes before the old have been entirely consumed. But here's the problem. Even if I bought more, under that paradigm, I will not be satisfied. I will still be discontent. Because I'm taking my unlimited desire and pointing it at limited material things and asking them to be more than they are. I'm asking them to fulfill a role that they were not intended to fill. And on top of that, I have the world and the flesh and the devil and 4,000 advertisements a day that are, that are driving that desire for more and inflaming that lust for more stuff. And do you know what the cumulative effect is of all of those things and forces and misplaced desires? You put all of that together and what you get is a shifting baseline. My definition of enough constantly shifts. My idea of what will make me happy is always just out of reach. If I were to go out tomorrow and buy a brand new Tesla SUV and a bunch of new clothes, and all of the other things that I think would be really cool to have. The issue is that all that does is create a new baseline. It just creates a new normal. And over time, the dust begins to settle, the initial excitement of that purchase, that rush begins to fade, and, and it, it just becomes normal. This is just life. It, it, it's not exciting, it's not compelling, I, I want something more. I want something new. I want to feel that rush of excitement again. I, where can I find that? Well, within minutes, new products will be suggested to me. 
oh, you're still discontent. Try this thing. How about this thing over here? Maybe this is the solution. Wow, that person looks really happy. I wonder if a BMW is the answer. But the answer isn't more stuff and it isn't more money. Uh, the average income for a working human being on planet Earth right now is $7,000 a year. That's averaged with the mega rich who are making billions. If you were to put it on a scale, uh, anyone earning $25,000 a year or more are in the top 10% of the world's wealthy. Anyone earning $35,000 a year or more are already in the top 1% of the world's income earners. Which means that most of us in the room right now are already in the top 1% of the world's wealthy. Is it enough? Are you content? Is there anyone in the room today who would turn down a raise? No, I'm good. I have everything that I need. I, I have enough. I am, I'm content. Probably not. All of us want more. We, we aren't content. But here's the catch. Um, you can chart income and well-being or fulfillment or satisfaction on a chart. Uh, and as income grows and you break out of poverty, let's say you're earning 7,000 or 10,000 or in America perhaps even 20,000, but then you, your income begins to increase uh, and you break out of poverty, uh, it really does increase your sense of satisfaction. It really does increase your sense of well-being. But eventually, when you hit a certain point, that increased well-being begins to plateau. It begins to cap off. And then the scary thing is that as you continue to earn more, your well-being and satisfaction actually begin to decrease as you make more and more money. Uh, and you can see this most clearly at the far end of the spectrum or the, the mega rich who have some of the worst rates of anxiety, depression, and suicide among any group of people. Statistically speaking, if you're thinking about your own well-being, it, it would be better to be mega poor than mega rich by the numbers. And if you were to put numbers to this, uh, several nationwide studies done in America uh, cap this peak point at around sixty-five dollars to $75,000 a year. So your well-being for most people will experience a steady increase until you land in that 65 to 75,000, uh, and then it sort of caps off. And they found that this, this is, that's per family, that's not for an individual. So per family, 65 to 75,000. After that, your money cannot help you. Your money cannot make you any more happy. Your money cannot give you any greater sense of well-being. In fact, as you continue uh, up the scale and hit the $100,000 a year mark, the metrics start to drop even more sharply once you break that point. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the further you slide out that scale, generally speaking, the more miserable people become. 
But we don't really believe that, do we? In our restless discontent, we are convinced we need to be on the far end of the bell curve. We are convinced that more money and more stuff will bring us more satisfaction. That it will finally scratch that itch and satisfy our unlimited desire. And yet we have countless examples to suggest that the opposite is actually true. The more we have, the less content we are, and the less we have, generally speaking, the more content. Marie Kondo, who is not a follower of Jesus, but is very into simplicity, has helped thousands of people simplify their possessions, and here's what she says. She says, through the process of tidying, which is her word for minimizing, people come to know contentment. After tidying, many clients will tell me that their worldly desires have decreased. Whereas in the past, no matter how many clothes they had, they were never satisfied and always wanted something new to wear. Once they selected only those things they really loved and gave the rest away, they felt that they had everything they needed. That's a summary of thousands of people experimenting in living with less. Then on the other end of the spectrum, on the far uh, reaches of the bell curve, you have King Solomon from the Old Testament who made his life an experiment in living with more. King Solomon amassed an enormous fortune. He was making, by today's equivalent, $800 million a year from tribute money alone. That's not counting his other sources of income. By today's standards, he was making well over a billion dollars a year, and he decided to make his life an experiment in more. He said, quote, I denied myself nothing that my eyes desired. Anything that would bring him pleasure. Storehouses of gold and silver, palaces, vacation homes, vast gardens, male and female slaves, a harem of women for his sexual pleasure. Anything you can think of, he went for it. He bought it. He tried it all. And here's his conclusion at the end of his life. He says, When I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, like chasing after the wind. Jim Carrey arrived at a very similar conclusion. After achieving world fame and millions of dollars, he famously said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and get everything they ever dreamed of so they could see that's not the answer. That's not the answer. But if we are to heed the voice of King Solomon or Jim Carrey, or Jesus himself, then where do we find satisfaction? What is the answer? Paul tells us, 
It says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have been on both ends of the bell curve. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, usually we quote this last part when we're talking about landing your dream job or asking that cute girl out on a first date or dunking on a 10-foot basketball hoop, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about contentment. He's talking about that thing that we all chase, but rarely find. How can I be content? A few thoughts as we close. To find contentment, uh, first, we place our infinite desire on an infinite God. We recognize that Jesus is the only thing that will truly satisfy. Uh, we let creation be creation, and we let God be God. In the words of Augustine, he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. You can be content through Jesus who gives you strength. Uh, we learn the art of delighting in the Lord. And the scriptures say that as you learn to do that, to literally delight in God, as a practice, as you shift your infinite desire toward God, the scriptures say he will satisfy the desires of your heart. Those unscratchable itches begin to fade. Those unending desires come home to the place where they were meant to be. They, they sit in the presence of the living God. And as they do, as we learn that art, number two, it recalibrates our relationship to the material world. Uh, we begin to relate to creation the way that Jesus did. Uh, we see it as good, as a gift from God, but as a limited gift. Uh, we recognize both the goodness and the limitedness of material things. The material world is both. It is good and it is limited. And Jesus says you simply cannot make a life out of material stuff. It doesn't work. Life simply isn't found in, a, in an abundance of possessions. You get a little taste so you keep running back. You can't, it, it can't support what you want it to do. The material world is not capable of that. It cannot possibly satisfy. But it's also from God. And it's good. And we can receive things with gratitude and enjoy them. Richard Foster describes the balance in this way. He says, To deny the goodness of the material world is to be an aesthetic. I can't say that word properly. 
you know what it is. To deny the limitation of the material world is to be a materialist. And, and we live, born and raised, in a culture of materialists. So we have to reject the culture that we've been raised in, but we cannot afford to overreact and run the other direction and to label the material world bad. We have to learn to live in the sweet place that Jesus lived, where he enjoyed the good things in the material world. He enjoyed what, what the Father provided for him, but he never tried to make a life out of it. Creation is good. It can be received with joy and gratitude and celebration, but it is limited, and it will never fully satisfy. So first, we shift our infinite desire to an infinite God. Uh, we learn to delight in Him. Uh, second, we allow God to recalibrate our relationship to the material world, uh, bringing us into the sweet place that Jesus lived. And third, uh, we redefine what is enough. John D. Rockefeller, the oil tycoon, was at one point the richest man on planet Earth far beyond, comparatively, what Bill Gates or Warren Buffett have today. And when asked, how much money is enough? His classic response was, just a little bit more. He died, one of the wealthiest men in all of human history, but like Solomon, he was not satisfied. It wasn't enough. The scriptures, on the other hand, bring us into a place of radical freedom. Hebrews 13.5 says this, says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be what? Content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You have his presence. And 1 Timothy is even more specific. He says, if we have food and clothing, let us be what? Content. Let us be content with that. That's enough. That's all you need. But you have to decide that. You have to define that for yourself. Will you trust in God, in his version of the good life, and what he says you actually need? Or will we listen to the other voices? Here's what's at stake. This is the very next verse. It says, Some people eager for gain, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many transgressions. In their lust for more, they now lead miserable lives. They aimed their unlimited desire at limited creation, and the result was disaster. They wandered from the faith. They walked away from Jesus, the only one who can truly satisfy. And now they will never be satisfied. 
They will never have enough. Brothers and sisters, there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more. The other is to desire less. And as we stumble after Jesus through the digital matrix uh, that is the modern insanity that we live in, as we attempt to navigate our own unending desire, as we learn to desire less of the material world, we discover that God is enough, that He is infinite, that He can handle our infinite desire. And so we throw off the distractions and the sin that so easily entangles And and as we do, we find that, that the life we've always wanted, the life that, that we hunger for, is available to you right here and right now in Jesus. Let's pray.